Jody Peters. I live on Cortez Island, British Columbia, nestled out here in the Coast Salish Sea. And um, and Odette, could you do me the honor of, of stating the territories that we respectfully, the unceded territories we respectfully inhabit? Sure. We, right now, we are on Cortez Island, traditional Cree territory, Cree Nation, Cree Nation, Cree Nation. Mm-hmm. And, and my, my role that we're going to talk about today, I'm the Youth Programs Manager for the Cortez Community Health Association. And the Cortez Community Health Association, or the CCHA, runs the Community Health Center on Cortez, which staffs doctors. And it also runs youth programming and family and just general community well-being programming as well. So I'm, I manage the youth programs, and right now we have four of them um, from ages starting in ages seven all the way up to teenagers and ending in age seventeen, um, and and we offer those programs in two to three year chunks so that we can offer developmentally appropriate programming for younger kids and um, preteens and teenagers, and then we also have a sports and after school sports program. Okay. So tell me about. Yeah, well, for for myself, for our programs, uh, when schools shut down, we pretty much immediately had to shut down. Three of the four of our programs were dependent on access to the school, and and with all of the efforts being made by community and public health to you know to get everybody to shut down a lot of the contact and connection of school we realized that our programs um were basically under that same rule and so we we shut them down completely right at spring break i guess it was so it was mid-march and then we did not start them um, we were waiting for schools to be allowed to reopen because we we're after school programming specifically um, and we depend a lot on our relationship with the public school on Cortez. Um, we really couldn't do very much without the school being active and open as well as that was a really good guideline of where the public health orders were at. If they weren't allowing schools to be open, then a program like ours, which involves groups of children and youth with facilitators, was probably also not allowed. Yeah, 
Um, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I didn't do this before, but the mandate of our program is to offer free, accessible, inclusive, and equitable programming for all the children on Cortez Island. And we do that because we want to offer children a safe, supervised, um, but different than school place to meet and, and be with their peers and support their autonomy, their resilience, the development of their self-esteem, their confidence, their empathic skills. And, and the reason why our programs are quite important on Cortez is there's a large population of homeschoolers on Cortez. Um, and then there is a pretty active small public school. And those kids don't often get to see each other as often um, as they would like. And so our programs offer, again, a free drop-in program that offers a safe, supervised space. And we, we try to enrich it with facilitators that can build relationships with the kids as well as help the kids bridge a lot of the different um, backgrounds and different family structures and all the sorts of the differences on this island, which can be very exacerbated in a small community. Our programs can offer a little bit of a, a space for kids to see a model of inclusion um, of people that are different from ourselves or families that make different choices from other families that we can still be friends, we can still be kind and respectful. And to me, that's one of the, one of the main features that is unique to our programs on Cortez um, that we offer. And, and I think it's been the way things have gone down with the pandemic and n- often no more play dates are happening and Um, kids are going to school and then they're staying at home, that whole situation has actually become even more extreme because kids at school are not seeing, they're only seeing the kids that are going to school and that's even dropped as as well as some families choose not to send their kids to school. So it's really limited children and youth social sphere. Um, And and so I, in, we, we didn't reopen the programs all through, um, May, April, May, and June, and school opened for three weeks at the end of June, but we, we couldn't get ourselves together to start for such a short time. So we were waiting. And then in September, uh, we, we did, um, some pretty interesting adaptations <laughs> to, to get the program started. Cause we were getting a lot of feedback from parents in the community that they really were hoping that something would be happening from a lot of feedback from certain parents of teens and a lot of feedback from younger, from families of younger kids as well. Um, so that's why we, we, we moved some things around to offer programming. We were able to offer it basically September, October, November. So do you think that increased demand also reflected teenagers, maybe their parents were more comfortable being at home, some distance education options, the yeah, I mean, I think one of my own personal mandates that we don't write into our mandate and goals for the program, but watching the rise of social media and kids' attention to screen and and not just attention to screen, but the power that social media programs, they leverage our desire for social connection by drawing us in and then they make us pay for it through the advertising through the suggestions through the notifications and through the almost addictive cycle that many social media programs 
create in many humans, and, and especially often in preteens and teenagers. And so one of my personal mandates for these programs is to keep kids seeing each other, keep kids allowing kids to have those peer relationships in person um, so that those peer relationships are not completely mediated through their phones or through their social media programs, which have such ulterior motives other than just allowing kids to connect. Um, and then we've seen that hugely with, with this pandemic. People have, have been forced to rely more on Zoom and on Facebook or on Twitter. I don't even know some of the social media apps. I'm not, I've never been on Instagram and I didn't even know what TikTok was. Anyways, <laughs> I just understand the bigger picture. And, um, and I think that we know that our children, especially older children, I'm speaking more to preteens and teens, they need to connect in meaningful ways with their peers. And, um, and, and they have a huge drive to do that. There, there, are, some, there are some teens who are more introverted and are, are, they have fewer peers, but they still will probably have one or two close friends. And, and so when they were cut off from school and cut off from seeing friends, I think there was a lot of activity through social media platforms. And I think that was probably necessary because they needed to maintain those connections. And I also see that as unfortunate the way those social media platforms are set up because they, they are not holding the best interests of the youth and teens in mind. They're, they're selling to advertisers. They have a business plan. And yet they're playing off of that deep need that these teens all have um, for, for social connection. And, and so I, that was what really drove me to try and find a way to safely meet in person. And then we have the flip side of that, which is when you bring kids and children and teens together, it is almost impossible to keep them two meters apart. And you feel like a police, you know, a brutal police person <laughs> or, you know, like, like it's military or something We're like regimenting these distances and not letting them touch each other and not letting them, you know, get too close. And, and that was, that was the final reason why we stopped the programs um, when COVID finally arrived on Cortez, um, or at least visibly and, and publicly. Um, we just realized that we could not mandate any any level of our programmed kids to to probably stay that far apart, even though we were outside um, and we were you know in the fresh air, um, I realized that that would make that would totally change the nature of the programs because one of the things we do is we provide a nice supervised space where the kids can relax and be themselves and it's not as structured as school and they've all a lot of them have been at school all day and they need a little bit of space to just be relax their bodies and and kind of be more physical and be moving in different ways that are that allow them to release some of that tension and yet so much of that brings them into contact with each other even if it's safe you know it's not it's not like they're hurting each other they're just touching each other <laughs> and and that became that was when I made my final decision just recently last week to stop the programs because I did not feel the programs would offer the same thing to these kids with us mandating they stay more than two meters apart from each other the whole time and possibly have to wear masks and we were also going to have to control how they came to the programs and how they left but they come from school a lot of them and there was like the level of control we had over it would just wasn't wasn't enough mm -hmm.
my ears, it sounds more of a responsive rather than a reactive you know, decision. Maybe we're basing it on like, you know, I really love what you said. You know, it wasn't, you know, the intention of our program was no longer going to be met. Mm-hmm. Really beautiful, as opposed to, it was just too much work and we don't have fun. Yeah. The least thing that would be required. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's very subtle. Um, I mean, I think almost everybody I know has watched the movie The Social Dilemma. <laughs> um, and if you haven't, as a, as a parent, it's it's required watching. I would almost say there may be other documentaries that that go into it, but it was the first documentary I had seen that had pointed out the way that social media apps work, as opposed to just kind of screen time. We always want to get them off their screens. Um, but it was much, it was illuminating for me to take a good look at the setup of these programs and the notifications and the suggestions and the way that they manipulate attention for the material gain of advertisers and the way that they polarize views because of the types of suggested posts and suggestions that gain more attention. They are not the things that we would want to be supporting in our children um, because the things that gain attention often are more shocking or they're more polarizing. And I just feel like it is so unfair that teens and preteens and depends how young you let your child have a phone um, or access these social media apps, but that they're held hostage by their desire to connect with their peers. And this is now one of the only ways they can do it. That That's the scariest thing for me. And that's why I was so, oh my goodness, I was so thrilled when Bill Dugan, who runs the Gorge Harbor Marina, said that he'd be willing to facilitate a teen scene hangout. This was before the, the province-wide public health orders came down. And that he had a gazebo, we could do it outside. And um, and it still took us a few weeks to get that going. And then the day that it was scheduled, a public health officer visited Cortez. And the day before it was scheduled was the day that the province-wide restrictions went out um, of November. That would have been like November 23rd. And, and so we had 11 teens show up that day. They had a ball. They just loved it. I had two emails from different parents saying how much their kids loved it and they hadn't even realized how much their kids needed that. And the facilitators thought it went great. And the facilitators informed me that like there was no physical distancing going on. It just wasn't really possible. Um, and like they come off the bus, you know, in arms, holding hands, whatever they do. And so, so that was after we, we had a week to kind of decide if we were going to be able to do it again. And that's where the situation on Cortez unfolded, that there was active cases. And the health officer um, who had talked to Bill originally said, you cannot have hangouts. Um, you, you could have, we could have nature hikes or walks where everybody was mandated to be two meters apart. Um, but again, in this climate, to me, as I told you before, it defeats sort of the intention we have of letting the youth be a bit more free and autonomous in their actions and and a very, you know, an, a, an alert community that is trying to now stop spread. Um, it just, I knew that they, they couldn't really continue. And 
and despite, but, but it was heartbreaking for me because I had felt so strongly the need and heard it articulated and had a lot of things in my mind. So that was a very, very hard call to make. I wonder if, if the world and the media and all these adults talking on different places, other than parents of teens, if they really understand when you're a teenager, it's your time to move out into the world. It's, you know, it's your time to launch yourself and to explore. And for teenagers, the door has just kind of been slammed shut for the last year. And, and I, I don't have teenagers, so I'm, I'm kind of sitting there empathizing and, or, you know, sympathizing from far off, but I, I don't know what the answers are. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, we're definitely going to try and see as, as soon as we can safely restart the teen scene at the gorge, we will. Um, cause it's such a, it's just such a great spot. Like it was just so ideal in so many ways. Um, but I'm not sure what the situation is going to do as we go into the dark winter months and flu season and, and and now that we have active cases on Cortez, so so I, I'm monitoring the situation really closely, and I'm keeping in touch with the coordinators because they were actually both willing to keep trying to do something. Um, although in the end, I think both coordinators were relieved and kind of grateful when I said that we were closing it down because I think they also held in their minds they weren't quite sure of the risk. They were now connected to the whole school because the kids that were coming from school. And and so I, they were both grateful in the end that it that it did pause. But they but they did not ask for it to pause either. They were actually willing to to try and keep it going. Which which says a lot for their hearts also to to provide something for the teens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that the teen scene facilitators are very special. <laughs> they have to kind of be able to hold a really particular line of of care for the teens, awareness of boundaries. And also just, like you said, letting them relax and have a lot of autonomy to be themselves and to be hanging out with each other in a way that feels comfortable for them and not policed or, or kind of hovered over or watched. or um, And and so it, it's a hard position to fill. And I was so, like I said, I was really excited when when the two facilitators that were uh, said they were interested in doing it. And it took three months. Like I had no facilitators. We would have tried to start it way sooner, but there was nobody that was, that was available um, at the time to facilitate it. So that's, 
it's, it's really hard. All the positions, I think, for our programs as coordinators are challenging because it's very few hours. It requires quite a lot of sensitivity and skill to, to feel good about coordinating any of these programs and not to just be a ball of frustration and, and um, you know, just not knowing how to handle these groups of kids. Um, and so, so, yeah, I always feel like it's, it's, you find, the neat thing is you find people who want to do it for the kids because um, they're not doing it for the money. <laughs> yeah, for so long. <laughs> for so long. And it was just all, the discussion usually was, well, I just can't imagine anyone else doing it in this way. <laughs> I can't imagine anyone knowing that this particular child means yeah. <laughs> something delivered in a yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, because it's a beautiful place to be where we know our children mm-hmm. well. You know, and we, or if we don't, we can get to know them quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I can speak a bit to that with kind of an epiphany I had a little bit about the programs this year that COVID forced me to have. So, in the beginning of September, I sat down with Marilyn and at the time a board member um, for the CCHA. Sean Limeworth and and Desta Beatty, who does our family services, um, family support coordination, and we, I just had a kind of the only way I could see our programs being allowed was if we moved them outdoors, because um, I had read through a lot of the COVID protocols from WorkSafe BC and um, for after school day camps and after school programming and just the. And oh, and the school wasn't. We had no access to the school, so the school district doesn't allow any, obviously, any extracurricular groups in there right now. And so we kind of had to move our programs outdoors year round because normally we would be outdoors when the weather was nice and it was warmer, but we'd be indoors for most of the later fall and winter. And um, and uh, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that this was an opportunity for a type of, of facilitation that I had been craving for a long time, kind of year-round, outdoor, uh, coming to a, the same place and just really getting to know that space and just being in that outdoor space um, with a group of kids. And, I, and I'm facilitating the younger program right now, the Kids in Action, seven to nine-year-olds. And I got so inspired by, we do the hike down from the school to the lagoon, which takes the kids a solid half an hour because we always, we always just get up to different adventures on the hike down. And then we usually build a little fire and, and just play in the sand. And that captivated the seven to nine year olds week in and week out. We just did that same thing. We just hiked down this beautiful trail down kind of the side of a, embankment from the school to the the lagoon and the ocean and um and I saw the magic of again returning to a place such a beautiful place as the lagoon and and the ocean and the beaches there again and again and the magic of the forest on the kids like these were the seven to nine year olds and they often come out with a lot of tension from being at school all day to hold in some of their urges and the the forest just dissipates it in the most beautiful way um, just kind of melts it into this fun adventure. And I just realized that they didn't need, I was kind of just keeping thinking, I'm going to get some more programming. We're going to get some people to come in and interpret the tide pools. We're going to get this. And then I just watched over like the weeks that they completely entertained themselves 
every session, they were not looking for anything else other than the gentle facilitation support of myself and my assistant to help them over some of the bumps of peer interactions to nudge them towards a little bit more inclusivity now and then and, you know, respecting other people's ideas and differences, but really a lot of hands off just just creating a few boundaries here and there and then mostly not when we didn't have to. And and it worked well. And Adventures in Leadership, which is for the 10 to 12 year olds, followed the same model. And while they have a little bit more um, pre-teenage angst to work through, <laughs> they still loved it. And they went to the lagoon and then they also went to another place on Cortez called Smelt Bay Provincial Park, um, but all outside. And so... It, it's it's a very different model than we had done before where we tried to program different units and program different crafts or program do a lot of specific thematic programming. And instead, we were more looking at building the relationship between the peer group, the facilitator, and the outdoor space um, in, in nature. So that, that was kind of a really welcome relief in a way that made the programs a little bit easier to coordinate and plan and deliver and made them a lot safer for a while, like made them possible to run in this current pandemic. Spots. It really touched my heart when when Bill and and Samantha was the other one who they rose up and just asked about facilitating teen scene. Um, hearing I'd put out a call again for a coordinator, even as I realized that the prospect of of holding a hangout, especially indoors, was disappearing fast. Um, so that was that was lovely just to see their desire and their understanding that teens need something. Um, to feel that support in the community, even when it, it can't be given right at this moment. And um, so that was one bright spot. And then another another bright spot, too, is some of the creative work we're trying to do. There still might be some interesting stuff coming down in, in January and February that doesn't need to be hangouts, but could still engage teens um, in in some creative and interesting projects. So there's been a lot of creative thinking, too. Um, I know lots of different people are trying to figure out ways to support our youth on this island. Um, and and that's been challenging, but it's still, it still needs to happen. Because, again, we, we still really have a situation where I think teens especially um, and preteens are really feeling the brunt of the the physical distance that's needed. Um, so yeah, I, I think just the creativity um, and the care of the community is always a bright spot. And and I've also had a lot of really kind feedback from parents who are very grateful for the program we've been able to offer and also really understanding of, of the difficulties we've had. And, and I didn't get any anger when I shut the programs down, just, just a little bit of sadness. 
and and still some gratitude. So that's been that's been wonderful to to feel the the compassion and the understanding. And it was, I don't know, as a mother, I was just smiling, listening to you, and <laughs> your voice, I miss. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm still, I'm still working at it too. Um, the coordinators obviously will get it; they will have to temporarily stop. But I'm still available too for contact through the, my youth programs manager website or email. Um, and and we'll still be working hard and again trying to we were not limited by the weather that's kind of the nice thing as soon as we can find a way to restart the outdoor programs we're just going to go for it um <laughs> whether it's whether it's like the end of january or the beginning of march um we're we're keeping an eye on that and and the situation and, and doing it you know as safely as we can with respect for all the different members of our community um but we but we know these are important and so we're where the game, it's, it's not over, it's just paused. <laughs> okay, recording is off, I think. Nope.